Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we welcome back Angela Curran. Welcome, Angela. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you may Again. remember. Again, yeah. Again. You may remember Angela as the very first guest we ever had on the OG the guest. <laughs> <laughs> A little reminder, Angela is one of Mark's and my very best friends in the world. She was actually best man in our wedding, which is very cool. And uh, she's one of the only people I see virtually in this whole pandemic on a regular basis. Caleb is one and Angela is one. We have a standing Friday movie night via Zoom and it's really fun. All right, so Angela's first episode was season one, episode three, The Deep End of the Pool. And I remember you just had so many wonderful insights, and it was so fun to... Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so we're just happy to have you back. And for repeat guests, um, we're just kind of asking, like, what's been going on? What's been new uh, since we had you on last, which was, like, last summer? <laughs> um, well... You can hear my dog barking in the background. So we've been hanging out at home when we're not at work during the pandemic. Hi, Chrissy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, so we uh, haven't been doing a whole lot of anything other than work and school stop and hanging out with our pets at home and watching virtual or watching movies virtually with our friends, Mark and Melissa. And <laughs> yeah, that's about it. But I'm happy that the weather's nice. We can start going back outside again. And yeah. We were talking before we started recording that all of us are vaccinated now, which is very cool. Yes. Maybe someday we can do this podcast in person. Although, again, Caleb's in New York. I'm in Kansas, so <laughs> probably not. We'll but meet anyway. in West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, take me home. So <laughs> excellent. So, yeah, welcome back. We're happy to have you here. Today, we're discussing Parenthood Season 2, Episode 20, New Plan. It was written by Jamie Dunnire, directed by Michael Weaver. It originally aired on April 5th, 2011, and here's the NBC synopsis. Crosby does everything he can to get Jasmine back. Meanwhile, Adam is nervous about Hattie going to prom with Alex, as Julia tries to spend more time with Sydney. Elsewhere, Sarah works on improving her script while also trying to focus on Amber's future. I thought we would start with Julia because Erica Christensen's arm is in a cast. I looked it up and <laughs> she broke her arm after crashing her bike in real oh, life. Wow. So the cast is real and the ice skating accident is fake. <laughs> I was almost <laughs> positive that she had to have broken it in real life because I was like, there's no real. Yeah, it wasn't serving any kind of story purpose. Yeah. I was confused as to why she kept holding it up at a 90 degree angle instead of just like letting her arm rest at her side. Like me too. It's really distracting to me. I think I have a theory. It's because in the early scenes, it's funny, you know, and like everything's pretty light. And so everyone, I do just, like when Sarah said, yes, Julia, do you have a question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it felt kind of um, just whimsical and like, you know, let's not even hide it. Let's just really draw attention to it and, and lean in, go for it. And then I noticed in the end scene where everything is very serious and, you know, she's crying and stuff, it would not make sense if she's still holding it up like a wave, <laughs> like rookie of the year, you know? <laughs> so it's just by her side. And I thought that, that kind of felt right. But yeah, that seems hugely uncomfortable. Yeah. 
Anyway, she's dealing with fallout from the last episode. The tail end of the previous episode, she found out that it was going to be really hard for her to conceive. And now throughout this episode, she's dealing with the consequences of that. Um, Actually, since you brought it up, I, I talked to the doctor and it's going to be difficult for me to conceive. Oh, they always again. say that. No, it's, it's really not in the cards. So. What do you mean, ever? It's okay. Oh, Julia. No, it's, it's okay. It's totally fine. I was sad when I found out, of course, but I am so blessed. I have the most amazing daughter and the most amazing husband, and I'm just going to focus on the every day that I have with them. Yeah, well, yes. I think what she says about being grateful for what she has is wonderful, mm-hmm. and I think it's true. I think she does have an amazing daughter, an amazing husband, but... Early on in the episode, I thought, I hope you're allowing yourself to mourn or grieve or feel whatever it is you feel instead of just like, it's fine because I can't complain. I think that's a hard line sometimes because, yeah, you you do want to feel grateful for what you do have, but I think you're absolutely right. We don't really process things if we don't allow ourselves to grieve, and, and sometimes it is a tricky thing where... You do want to be mindful of of where you're lucky, but you can't just brush past any emotions you might have. That's not healthy or good. Yeah, I just, she's always like the positive person, the get it done kind of person. She ha- She's a person with a lot of privilege. And so I think she feels too guilty. Like, I have to be thankful for what I have. It would be very selfish of me to have any kind of grief over this. I mean, I think all of us have probably been in a situation like that, not necessarily not being able to conceive, but like having an idea of something that we thought was going to happen and then it didn't, but feeling like we need to just move on because we have so many better things in our lives anyway. So I think it's pretty relatable. Yeah, That's a really good point. It's something I felt throughout the pandemic, especially last year, like when people would ask, how are you doing? I felt so privileged in so many ways that I almost felt like I didn't have the right to not be doing well because I thought, well, I'm healthy. I haven't gotten COVID. I was collecting unemployment, so I wasn't broke, even though I had lost my job or my job wasn't a job anymore. Mm-hmm. It just felt like, oh, I, I can't complain when there's so much suffering And it did sort of reach a point where I had to admit, yeah, but I can only live my life and it's really hard right now. Mm -hmm. You can, I think you can be both. I'm like, I I am privileged in many ways and I'm having a tough time. It's not either or, at least in that case. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's uh, the fallacy of the either or. And I kind of struggled with that with a pandemic too, because, you know, I would prefer that I was teaching online but we were back in person. So I was like really anxious every day, Mm -hmm. but then I'm like, well, I have a job. So at least I have that. I should be grateful for that. I think I felt, you know, related, relatable to her in that way that we've lost something, but how do we, how do we handle that? How do you grieve? How do you grieve for that? Yeah. I also can't believe I hadn't thought until you said it, that Julia is such an achiever. And goal-oriented, I would assume, you know? So she sees a problem and she marshals her considerable 
intellect <laughs> and determination, and she fixes it. I mean, yeah. like, like she tried to do with Zeke's financial stuff last season. And it, it would be weird I, for her, I think, in a situation like this where there is no fixing it. For someone who feels so in control all the time, yeah, it must be really difficult for her to feel out of control. And it makes me wonder how the Bravermans would have handled the pandemic, actually, if the show had continued, you know? You know Zeke would never wear a mask. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're totally right. And I think Julia... And Christina would have never taken it off. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's true, too. And um, I think Amber would have sewn masks, you know? (laughs) She's always knitting. (laughs) But I don't know what Julia... Christina would have been running around, like, handing them out to everyone. (laughs) Like, (laughs) sell me more masks. I need to give them to everybody. Yeah. And Amber would be like, I'm just doing this to be nice, God. Um, (laughs) I'm doing it for free. (laughs) Yeah, that's fun. This little scene, the flashcards that she was doing with Sydney, it was just a brief moment, but it reminded me of the movie Parenthood. Oh, yeah. Where they were giving the little girl, I don't even remember her name now. I don't either. All the like math problems and stuff. Oh, my God. Sid, are you excited? These are your new golf clubs. <laughs> they were mine. Oh. We get to play golf together. Well, you know, I will teach you and you can play. I don't like golf. Oh, well, you haven't tried it yet. Well, it's just that I don't really want to play. It's going to be our thing, the thing we do together. I thought we were learning French. How many things do we have to do together? We don't have to do too many. Now, before we discuss the really lovely and heartbreaking things in that scene, I just have to say that the beginning of that clip I played reminded me of this character from Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so freaking excited. Is that Kristen Wiig when when there's a surprise, like a surprise party and she freaks out? Okay, I was trying to remember. That's great. Really love surprises. (laughs) Oh, Sid, are you excited? (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. But yeah, what what did you think of Sydney kind of shunning Julia to her face? Well, I especially wanted to hear Angela's thoughts on this because you have a kid and I can't imagine, like, have you ever, (laughs) I think I already know, but tried to, like, you were excited to share something with Oren and he was like, whatever. (laughs) So when Oren was like three or four years old, like I had envisioned him like joining dance and being like, you know, like Patrick Swayze. And (laughs) so I like was like, you want to take a dance class? And he's like, okay, you know, just little four-year-old Oren. So I enroll him and I went and got him like black dance pants and I got him his jazz shoes and his tap shoes. And I got him like a little white t-shirt to wear to practices and stuff. And he did it for like one session, which I think was like eight weeks. And 
he was like, I don't want to go back, mom. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, please, please, like, you know, it'll get better. You'll love it. You'll love it. It'll be our thing. Like we can go, I can go watch you. I can be your dance mom. And, uh, He was just like, it is not fun. (laughs) Nobody puts baby in a corner. So my heart was a little broken at that moment. But um, and then, you know, there's like English is my favorite subject when I was in school and I teach debate and forensics and speech. And so really try to get Warren involved in that kind of stuff, theater, any of that. And he he is just no go actually English is his least favorite subject. And it kind of just breaks my heart. So. We don't have a lot that we do together, except for we do watch The Walking Dead together. <laughs> so that is our thing. That is your thing. I mean, he's totally into video games and I am not into video games. I like to sing and dance and stuff around the house and he gets so mad at me when <laughs> I do it. So he says I'm embarrassing him, even though there's no one to be like at our house for me to embarrass him in front of. So oh, yeah. I also wonder, how do you handle as a parent your child unintentionally hurting your feelings? Like in that scene, I don't think Sydney was trying to make Julia feel that no. at all. But to say, how many things do we have to do together? <laughs> yeah. Of course, is going to make her feel bad. And then just add on top what she's going through at that yeah. moment makes it even worse. So like, it's not like Julia can be mad at Sydney, but she is hurt by it. That must happen a lot, I would think. Yeah, you know, kids say things that are hurtful a lot of the time. And like sometimes it's easy to blow off. It's easy to be like, yeah, it's just he's just mad or he's just whatever. But I don't know. It's okay to cry about it sometimes (laughs) too, I think. Like I've definitely shut my door and cried and he comes back later and apologizes. And but I think even when kids are intentionally trying to make you mad or make you hurt your feelings, they're just trying to figure out how to convey something of their own feelings. I don't know. I'm not like a parent expert. I'm probably like, I know Melissa says I'm a good mom, but I often feel like I'm the worst parent ever. So nowhere. But yeah, like I I have felt disappointment before when I'm like, oh, I want to, you know, like let's plan to do something or whatever. And he's really just not that into it. And Social media is a big thing too. And so you see like pictures of happy families, like doing all these cool things together. And then I'm like, man, maybe I don't do enough with my kid or maybe, Mm. you know, but then I also have to remember that that's just the part that people want to show. So you just made me think like, not that we really see social media on parenthood, but we do see a lot of comparisons. Julia must be trying to reconcile possibly just having one child with the family she grew up in. You know, she has three siblings. That's yeah. that's a big family. You know, when they come together, it's a an event, you know? And, and two of her siblings have two kids. Yeah, and so she sees what it's like for them to have siblings. She even went to Adam when she and Joel were first starting to talk about having a second to ask Adam, what about the age difference between Hattie and Max? Is that good? You know, And so there is that comparison. And so it must be extra hard for her to think, well, everyone else is able to do this. You know, Sarah wasn't even trying because Sarah said in that episode, well, neither of mine were actually planned, so I can't really help you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that must be that must be frustrating and and 
extra hard if you think, well, this is what everyone else got to have. Why can't I? And then reconciling that with the guilt of how dare I, I have this great husband and this great kid. So yeah, that must be a lot to be processing. I'm glad she cried at the end, not in a mean way, but because <laughs> I think like, like Angela said, you know, sometimes you got to shut the door and you got to cry. And it was really lovely that she was able to do that with her mom who, you know, is just such an understanding mom and, and, you know, was just there for her. And, and I, I like to think she probably felt better after just letting herself be sad. Yeah. I was really taken with after that scene, that last scene I played where Zeke says, Joel, what's going on? There's almost no words in the rest of that storyline. Mm. I mean, that scene between Julia and Camille, neither of them say anything. Yeah. And I admired how much they were able to communicate you know, like the show sort of let us fill in the blanks. The last we saw, Zeke asked Joel what's going on. And then you see Camille come up behind Julia and just embrace her. And you can fill in all those blanks. And then even in her last scene with Joel, all Joel says is, for what it's worth, I always wanted to play golf with you. And she <laughs> says, I love you so much. And that's it. And in some ways, I kind of like that what it maybe says about Julia that this isn't necessarily a problem she can sort of talk out. Mm-hmm. She just has to feel it. It's going to take as long as it takes. And I'm sure there will be talking eventually, but I just liked how, how much they did with so little. Yeah. I thought in the moment to like how close the family is that they realize like something's going on here without anybody having to say really anything like I know I mean she does walk off but it's not like it's not like she says well you know why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that or honey we talked about this what we were gonna play golf and now we're not or whatever it's just like oh wait something's up here and I think that that really stood out to me in like the closeness of their extended family in general is just like they always seem to know if something isn't quite right I feel like in some families That's not the case or people might misinterpret or, you know, even think, I don't know, someone's being rude if they walk away or, you know, and and just like totally misread the situation and be like, well, that seemed kind of abrupt. Like we came all the way over here. We brought the golf clubs. Why aren't you, you know, like they got it. They got something was was making her upset. I feel like you really yeah have to be well attuned to each other. That's really lovely. And now I realize that I kind of like that Joel told them even though I certainly can imagine in one sense, it's not his information to share. But in this case, it it never even occurred to me while watching, like, oh, maybe he crossed a boundary. It makes me wonder if there are some things that it's easier not to have to tell people over and over again, that he maybe was doing her a favor by saying, I'm not going to make you tell your parents this because it's going to be emotional. So I'll tell them and then you can just receive the comfort that of course they're going to offer you without having to unload it again. And some families would not have a comforting reaction, which seems crazy, but like some families, you maybe wouldn't want your husband or your spouse to tell your parents something because you have to sort of brace yourself (laughs) before conversations or you're not sure how they're going to react. So that's another beautiful thing. Like he doesn't have to wonder how they'll take it they're going to be wonderful. And he knows that. I think choice is so important. You know, 
I've chosen not to have kids. Angela, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but you've chosen to have one child, you know, that must make all the difference, you know, that Julia and Joel could have easily chosen to have one kid, you know, they're both super busy and, and, you know, Joel would probably like to get back to work at some point. It could have just made more sense for their lifestyle to choose that. It's so different when it's taken away from you. I like when Joel told Sydney that he went to school for, I think, smearing <laughs> peanut butter on a piece of celery. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. He's very funny. I'll cut this out. I just noticed this as I was editing two episodes ago when Joel and Julia canceled their anniversary mm. and um, stay with Jasmine while she's so upset. In the background, you hear him say to the kids, who wants to play hide and seek Israeli army style? And then you can hear him in the background going, all right, now what I'm about to tell you is top secret. So you can't tell anyone. And then you don't hear what he says, but he's just totally <laughs> clearly like, okay, I'm going to concoct some game with the kids. And then when he realizes they're staying, he says, okay, who wants pizza? And then very in the background, you hear, hear him asking the kids, what do you like on your pizza? Brussels sprouts? And they're like, no, ew, gross. <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, platypus meat. <laughs> and, and I'm sure all that stuff was ad-libbed. And I know that he has several kids in real life. And it just seems like, oh, you can tell that he does. And that he's probably really good with kids. And and that he has this cool sense of humor. I, I love that. Like you it. should keep that in. Yeah. Why not? I do too. Yeah. I always, like the first time I watched this show all the way through, to me, Joel just was kind of a throwaway character. Like I never really like paid much attention to him. But watching this the second time through, like, I'm just like, Joel is like one of the best characters on this show. Yes. He's so, he's like, everything's like so understated, but he's just like the best person. Mm -hmm. And he's a great actor. Like, what the heck? Like, how did I not notice that at first? I have, well, Caleb and I have both noticed that. And I really think he gets lost because he's a quiet personality and the whole show is full of big personalities. Um, but yeah, people talk about like Adam being like the ideal dad. And I'm like, it's Joel. Adam, I can, I can point to a lot of things. <laughs> I was going to say, I have a lot of negative notes on Adam for this episode. <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. But I almost always think Joel is right, you know, um, and, and I love where he's coming from. So, well, let's veer over to some of the other storylines. So at the beginning of the episode, we get Amber coming clean to Sarah about college. I didn't get into Berkeley. Did you think I would be mad? I was just feeling sad about it, so I knew you'd be disappointed, and I just... I'm not disappointed in you. I'm disappointed for you. God. I want to help you figure out what's next. Mom, this is exactly why I didn't tell you, because I'm not ready to make a plan for what to do next. I'm not ready to think about it that way. I'm feeling vulnerable and upset and sensitive about it, and I don't want advice or ideas. You know, I just want you to listen. And I just can't talk to you about it this way yet, okay? Because I'm still too hurt, okay? A plus to Amber for communicating what she needs from Sarah right now. Like, I don't think she could have been any clearer. Yeah. I know we've talked before about 
expressing whether you want advice or comfort Mm -hmm. when you're going through something. And Amber is clearly saying she's still in the comfort phase. Yeah. I do think Sarah in the last few episodes, and I I love Sarah. I think, you know, she's one of the best parents on the show. But one thing that's been kind of popping up is her just being uncharacteristically positive, you know, about like, like, you know, Amber's like, what if I don't get in? And she's like, let's not think like that. But she doesn't get in. And and it kind of makes sense to me that Amber didn't want to tell her right away because they hadn't talked about what will happen if I don't get in. And Amber had tried. And so I think she's just not ready to to have that conversation now. I think she kind of wanted to have it before so that she could maybe prepare herself. And now she hasn't prepared herself. And I do think that's a, a rare misstep for Sarah that she was just so hoping that Amber got in that she didn't allow herself to think what might happen if she doesn't. You know, Sarah's also like having a lot of success right now with her play. And I almost feel like she feels guilty. So that guilt theme kind of coming Mm -hmm. back in again, but like, I think she feels guilty because she's actually having some success now that maybe she feels really bad that she can't like that her daughter can't feel the same thing right now. I feel like she almost is like, I shouldn't be having this success because I should be a better mom for Amber right now. Mm. She even says earlier to her sister, like, oh, it's okay. Like these things happen, like they can fix it. And she's like, no, no, it's not fit. Like it can't be fixed. And she sort of is doing the same thing to Amber. She's like, well, we'll, we'll come up with a plan. It's okay. Like, and, and Amber has to say, no mom, like I, I just need you to listen to me, yeah. you know? And with Seth, like she was always trying to fix Seth. She has a real problem trying to fix people that she can't change. So yeah. I, and I think that's like her struggle. So interesting you say that because I've never thought about that before. I think maybe because the show hasn't spelled it out in in the same way that they have with Adam being a fixer, like characters literally tell Adam, you're a fixer. But I'm like, (laughs) Sarah is just as much. I just didn't notice it because no one told me. But now you've told me. And uh, I agree. (laughs) That's totally true. And it's something that's like maybe more of a Braverman family trait than I realized. And it's so true that people go to her with their problems when they don't want the sanctimoniousness of Adam. <laughs> right. You know? Yes. Like, cause yeah. Sarah has had a lot of setbacks and failures in her life. So I don't think people feel self-conscious. They assume you, you understand Sarah, <laughs> you know, whereas like they might not be so ready to go with Adam with that because he seems to be the golden child. And well, I think I don't want to feel so awful <laughs> compared to him. So I'll go talk to Sarah about it. It's interesting you say that because Sarah in this episode even tells Crosby when Crosby goes to her, you know, she says, I'm sorry, it just pisses me off about him sleeping with Gabby. But maybe that's easier to take than Adam being like, no, I've never made a mistake. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure he's kidding or just mad and saying something that's not literally true. But, you know, even just the direct honesty and and not hyperbolic honesty you know Sarah saying I'm sorry it just pisses me off and that's all she says other than that she's very supportive of Crosby I think that's kind of beautiful to be able to not just totally forgive him and say it's no big deal that you cheated on your fiance I don't care you know she does care it upsets her but 
she's, and I know it doesn't directly affect her the way it did Adam. I, I do get that, but I, I don't know. It's because it's not like she's never judgmental, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but it's right. not like her number one characteristic. <laughs> well, speaking of Adam, <laughs> here are some of Adam's thoughts on prom. Prom is about sex. The prom is a parent and school sanctioned club med for teenagers. Really? Yeah. You know it. I know it. Everybody who's ever been to a prom knows it. And I thought we dodged this bullet. Well, we need to trust her. Honey, this isn't about trust. This is about a room full of teenagers and runaway hormones causing them to lose control. I know. I went to prom. Yeah, I, I know you went to the prom. Agree or disagree with Adam? Is prom for sex? Like, I know Melissa and I didn't have sex on our prom night. It sure so wasn't for me. <laughs> maybe we have a warped view of what prom is. But yeah. No, I would say not for me either. So... <laughs> And you're yeah. both teachers. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way with your students when prom is approaching? Are you thinking, oh, I wonder how many of these kids are going to go? <laughs> That's never really occurred to me. <laughs> after prom. You know? No, I've seen some really adorable, like, people do prom posals now and stuff like that. And I've just seen, like, some of the cutest, sweetest things. And, like, I think, I'm sure there are those kids that are, like, prom nights for sex, but... I think in general, most kids are just like, I want to go to the dance with someone that I like and have a good time. So make memories. I think it's more of a TV and movie thing that prom is about sex than a real life thing. And I'm maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think that sometimes things are more cliches in in TV and and movies. Uh, So, well, now seems like a good time also to just ask you both any particularly fun prom memories that you have or even not fun just any like memories of your own proms that stand out to you my prom date has been on the podcast it was my friend megan from season one and i only went to prom twice my junior and senior year and both times it was with megan and i knew like years in advance that we had that date it's like we're we're gonna go to prom together and um I don't remember, I hate to say, I don't remember a lot about the prom specifically, like what the dance was like or or what the themes were or anything. But my memory is I had a great time. And I do not feel like a natural prom guy. Like I, <laughs> I'm introverted. I don't like lots of big crowds of unstructured <laughs> activities and uh, not a dancer. But I thought, no, I'm going to go to prom with my friend and we're going to have a good time. And I did. I'm really glad I went both times. I'm really glad I went with Megan. We did not have sex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do remember one thing about prom. I picked Megan up at her house. And when we came out and got in the car, I had a song on called Go Into the Dance With You by Kristen Chenoweth, who we both, we bonded over her like first album. And she was really touched. And I felt like a thoughtful friend. You are. (laughs) You are. The rain may fall, the wind may blow. It may get down to 20 below. I don't mind, because I'm going to the dance. I know I've talked about prom before, so I'm going to tell different stories right now. One of them is one of my fondest memories was just getting ready with my friends before prom. That was really delightful. We um, got together at a friend's house and we all like did our hair and our makeup and just 
felt very giggly and excited. And we kind of more went like in a big group. Like my senior prom, I went with my friend Roy, but it was more like we all just kind of went together. You know, we all went to dinner together and then we all went to the prom together and then we all hung out at my house after together. And it was really lovely. But I will say... I always wanted that experience of going with a significant other, and I never did that once. Like, I never went to a dance or prom or anything with a boyfriend. That's probably because I only had two boyfriends in high school for a combined total of seven weeks. Um, <laughs> so um, it never really fell on a, on a dance. So I do remember that when I was a teacher, I'm still a teacher, but one, one year I, I asked Mark if he would chaperone the prom <laughs> with me. <Aww. laughs> so we like got dressed up and sort of went to prom in our 20s. <laughs> and it was really fun and um, kind of made up for some things. <laughs> for me. That's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) I went to prom three years. Uh, My first year though, I was a sophomore and my boyfriend was a junior. And um, my mom and dad were actually really nervous about letting me go to prom, but they gave me a curfew. So I had to be home by 1130. (laughs) And we had like, I didn't buy a dress, I borrowed someone's dress. So it was like super low key. And it was actually really fun. I don't remember a whole lot about that. And then my junior year, I had the same boyfriend. But Gerard, where I went to high school, does this thing where you can't walk, they do like a banquet before. And it's only for the juniors and seniors. So if your prom day is, if your prom day is not a junior or senior at that school, then you cannot walk in with that person. You have to walk in with someone else. And so that year I was, I had, I don't remember, like I had made a promise with another person that we would be walk-in dates no matter who we were dating or whatever. So I walked in with my friend Ryan and then I went to prom with my boyfriend. (laughs) And then as we, you just like go swap your dates, you know? (laughs) And so, and then uh, my senior year, I was like, well, junior year was like, fun, I guess, but I was dating someone else my senior year and he couldn't go to the prom because he had to work. And so my friend who had already graduated high school because she couldn't go to the prom, obviously, she was like, well, you can take my boyfriend. (laughs) And I was like, well, okay. She kind of offered him up, didn't ask him, but then he was like, oh yeah, I'll go. That'll be fun. And so I don't know if you know Stephen. But um, that was my senior, he went to Pittsburgh High School. I don't know. Um, But that was my senior prom date. And we, I think that was the best prom because it was like completely no pressure, like nothing, like you're not trying to impress anyone. We took pictures still and did all of that. And I think that was like the best prom I had. Wow. And like Caleb said, like, I don't really remember a lot about like the dances or anything like that. I just remember like thinking it was a fun night. And then um, we went to like the after prom party thing and uh, it was like a mock casino Mm. so you could like win prizes and stuff. So we had a good time. One thing that I thought about like when I was watching this episode is I was, is that like in a lot of movies and TV show prom is like in some like hotel lobby or like something like super amazing and like the prom decorations are crazy and Like there's just a ton of people there. They have like a famous live band or something like that. And I really appreciated that in this show, they literally did it in the gym and they made fun of the decorations and it was super cheesy. Like 
all of my high school problems. <laughs> yeah. I thought that That's too. That's a good point. It's a nice touch. Yeah. Although Melissa, I know at least some of your proms were not at the high school because you were in my sister's class and you guys were off campus. And by the time my proms rolled around, they were in our gym. And I was like, why can't I go to the ballroom at the university? Like yeah, that's true. That's where Jay I was. Jay and Melissa did. I was a little PO'd about that. <laughs> it was kind of cool where ours were. Yeah, now that I think about it, at Pitt State. And then they also rented out the basement and they had karaoke down there. So that was kind of cool. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and Angela, what you said about the like casino thing, I'm remembering now, I think we had something like that too at our prom. And I don't think I went, but it seems so clear that the point of that was to keep people from after prom yes, activities, from whether they'd drinking. be sex or probably, yeah, more drinking. I would think yeah. they wouldn't want kids drinking and driving. I, at least one of the proms, I know I spent the night at Megan's aft- afterwards, which can probably give you some indication of how worried my parents were about <laughs> what we were going to get up to. It's like, yeah, spend all night with her. What do we care? That's called trust. That is. I do trust. remember, like, I did go to the Pittsburgh prom. Their theme was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh. And it was like, I thought it was like the coolest thing. They did it at the high school, but they had like a big bubble machine out in the middle. Okay, this doesn't apply to like anyone who doesn't know Pittsburgh High School. But you know how they had like the, like they used to have like the bench thing in the middle that was like a, in a like octagon. Yeah, it was like a pit kind of. Yeah, they covered that in like foil or something. And then they put like bubble stuff in the middle. So it was like the, um like the floaty thing in Charlie oh, yeah. and Chocolate Factory. Cool. And then they had underclassmen dressed up as Oompa Loompas to serve. (laughs) That's awesome. And it was like, I was like, this is so fun. And everyone else was like, this is the dumbest prom theme ever. And I was super excited. I think that's a great theme. (laughs) That does sound like a cool, it sounds like something that could be stupid, but the way you described it, it's like, no, fun. (laughs) Yeah, it was totally fun. Ours were a night in Hollywood and... Uh, it was a night in Wonderland. So it was like Alice in Wonderland. So like the Cheshire cat is in the background of my, of my prom <laughs> picture with Roy. <laughs> so, silly. Well, listeners, we're going to be sharing some of our prom pictures on social meds. So be sure to check <laughs> that out if you want to see some of our, uh, some of our photos. Yeah. You know, the, the scene between Hattie, Amber and Alex discussing prom, where they like convince Amber to go yeah. to prom. I thought that was so fun. Yeah. The three of them together. And it made me regret that we haven't gotten any fun storylines between Hattie and Amber, like together. They're delightful. And just watching that, I thought, I want to see them get into some like teenage hijinks together (laughs) instead of like, let me drive you to your alcoholic boyfriend's secret date. Like, that's not fun. Well, and. Angela, I think I was just thinking about you because I knew you were going to be in this episode, but their dynamic was kind of reminding me if like maybe you and I had known each other in high school a little bit. And like, I don't know, it sounds weird, but I was thinking they had that whole thing with Steve and like, you know, you dated Mark before I did. And then they became like super close friends, which I feel like is something you don't see happen very often. And um, yeah, yeah. The, the only difference is now we're both also super close with Mark instead of like, who the hell is Steve on this show. <laughs> but um, anyway, I just... Oh, yeah, was Steve at prom? 
Yeah, they should have shown him, like, who is he with, you know? He should have been with Kelsey. Uh, that would have been super dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I, I just, I thought that was kind of fun. There's something nice about the fact that they went through something that would end a lot of friendships, you know, even though they're related, and it didn't. You know, I think that's kind yeah. of beautiful. I also wrote down, like, who can say no to Hattie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's so adorable and convincing. Like, I mean, you know... Her boyfriend was like, I'm not really a prom guy. And she's like, but you look so good in a suit. (laughs) He immediately gets over not being a prom guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take hardly any convincing. Yeah. It's super cute. And she is, she's just so earnest, especially in this episode. And it's nice that her and Alex's intentions are just very kind. You know, they just want Amber to go and have fun and you know I mean they set her up with like a nice guy who is cute I mean it's Evan Peters (laughs) (laughs) he gets a little weird later in life (laughs) (laughs) he starts wearing a rubber suit how does it get weird I don't know who Evan Peters is oh He's like an American horror story staple. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And he he's played all kinds of really <laughs> crazy characters. Yeah, he was a school oh, wow. shooter in one of oh, them. Oh my god. Yeah, he's like dark, super dark. But but he's cute and he wasn't and funny. dark here. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was. And and I thought actually something that kind of broke my heart in this episode was I was like, man, if if Amber were not going through such a tough time, that guy could have been someone to date or just a friend. You know, I they I don't think they ever see each other again because it kind of ends so awkwardly and abruptly. But I'm like, they had good chemistry. They Like from the get-go, when he gives her the corsage and he's like, I kind of want to keep this, but I think it's <laughs> you're supposed to have it. And then she's like, we can trade off. You know, I'm like, immediately yeah. they Or when he along. says, may I take your coat? And he's like, no, nah, what do I do with this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really cute banter. And well, it's I, funny you mentioned that because there was a deleted scene from this episode on the DVD and it was between the two of them. Huh. It was him driving Amber home from the prom after she was upset about Kelsey and everything. And she apologizes to him and he's really nice and says, don't worry about going to college. Like you have so much going for you. And it's, he's very sweet and she's clearly touched. And so she leans in to kiss him and he shoots her down. Oh no. And he's like, Oh, I don't know if I feel right about this. You seem kind of upset. And it's like, it's very, comes from a very good place, but she's embarrassed and a little angry. And then, so she just leaves. And that's right before she walks in to talk to Sarah. So it's just like one more smackdown on Amber. I'm kind of glad they cut it just because I'm like, I already felt bad enough for her. I didn't need to watch her get romantically rejected too. Yeah. That's hard. But yeah, I mean, Hattie and Alex, it's not like they set her up with someone they didn't think she would like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They 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 picked someone very kind and cute. And I love that the night sucked not for the reason you might expect. Like it's not always yeah. about a guy, you know, and and Good like point. And, yeah, I thought I thought it was cool that she even says to her mom, like, you know, a, a nice date. Like I I can't have any of these normal things. Like it, this doesn't work for me. And I like that he was mentioned as one of them. Well, I want to sidestep for just a second to talk about Sarah's play and Gilliam. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you looking at me like that? Because I'm going to ask you to cut the first two scenes of the second act. And you're going to want to fire me. 
You're crazy. You're fired. No way. I, that is that see? is the whole second act. Think about it. Think about it. Cut the first two scenes. Read it, and you'll see everything you need is in there. But there's, you don't have all the information. I'd have to rework the so, end of the so first act. Rework it. Okay. What is that? Three days? No. <laughs> For you, maybe. Sarah, there is an opportunity that has arisen that might give you a staged reading at the Berkeley Theater Company. No. Yep. <laughs> okay. That's really cool, but it's not ready. I should wait until it's in better shape. You could do these changes in three days. I could if I didn't have a family and a job and um, it's close. You but... know, I can't help but think what would happen if you put all that energy you have into this play. Sarah, I hate to be the one to tell you. You have a gift. You really do. This is a great play. This play is you. For once in your life, let yourself come first. Angela, you got any thoughts on Gilliam T. Blount? <laughs> um, this is just so stupid, but I just wrote down what the hell with that hat. <laughs> it's just all part of his character. Is it a fishing um, hat? Like, I was trying to... It's like, like a 90s bucket hat. Like, what the hell? Like that Ashton Kutcher <laughs> would wear? Because uh, okay. I was like wondering, like, is this some sort of like nod to Jaws? Oh, like because oh. to me it looked like a had <laughs> a boatman would wear or something. But uh, yeah, he's just I don't know. I don't know what I think about him. I think he's an odd duck. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I thought he seemed maybe fine in that ep that scene. You know, um, that seems to me like how workshop would go, suggesting someone cut something, write something else. I didn't even think it was super rude of him to, you know, encourage her to put herself first, although it was a little like ignoring the realities of her life, I think. I We haven't read Sarah's play, but I remember hearing a tip from somewhere that you should cut the first and last two lines of every scene in a script or like every chapter in huh. the novel. And I, I forget where I heard that, but I think the point of the tip is we tend to overestimate what information is needed to get a scene going or to tie it up. And Melissa, didn't you tell me that it was Kurt Vonnegut who said start as close to the end as yes. possible? Yeah, I love that advice. Yeah, and that seemed like maybe this is her act two issue. Like you can start closer to the end. Yeah. Now this is a real tangent, but they have a whole discussion about how Gilliam wanted to cut the soliloquy from Hamlet. Oh, God. <laughs> and I could find no evidence of his $1,000 bet that it wasn't in the original production. What I did find is that the oldest text of the play, which is often called Quarto One or Bad Quarto, because it was most likely cobbled together from memory huh. by actors or people who saw it, and so it's missing a lot of material that's in other versions of it. But in that version, the soliloquy is not in act three, scene one. It's in act two, scene two. And apparently some modern productions also move it hmm. to that place because they feel it works better psychologically for the character. So I didn't find any evidence that it wasn't in there at all. But I did find some theories that it was in a different place. Also, there's no such thing as the Berkeley Theater Company, but the Berkeley <laughs> Rep is a very well-known and reputable regional theater. So maybe they were kind of like a thinly veiled version of Berkeley Rep. But anyway, 
So let's go back to prom. Well, I, I do want to say I appreciated Gilliam's advice to Sarah to put herself first because I think that is a message she needs to hear a yeah. little bit. But yeah, I also agree that when you're a parent, there's there's times you just simply can't do that. You know, in fact, why don't I play the insane version of Gilliam? Oh, prom! Prom! I hate that word. What do you want to be, a soccer mom? I hate that word, soccer mom. What does that even mean? That's the last thing I am. I'm a person who's a mom who's trying to get some writing done. <laughs> prom! I hate that word. I thought, <laughs> Melissa, this made me think of you because... I you've called my attention, well, not me specifically, but you've called attention before to kind of casually sexist terms like cat lady, you know, mm-hmm. like crazy cat lady or something. Or, um, and I thought, you know, soccer mom. Yeah. I feel like Sarah sort of points out that it there is some sexism in that because it's it often does have kind of a pejorative connotation or or at least a judgmental connotation. Yeah. Gilliam certainly is using <laughs> it that way. What do you want to be, a soccer mom? And I like that she points out, look at me and you know me. That is not who I am or what I am. I'm a person who's a mom. And I thought, yeah, good point. Yeah. And even just the label of mom, I think, has a connotation to it. Of, well, here's what moms are like. And here's what moms care about. But all moms are people, their own people. And the only thing that unites them is that they have children. And the fact that it's soccer mom and not soccer dad, because, you know, the dads are at work and doing really important things, uh, quote unquote, you know. And so it's the mom who his entire life revolves around the kids. Yeah, I don't know. There's just a bunch of gross stuff in there. And what an insane delivery. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Under- so ma- and then and then just the way that scene shifts where she's like, do you have kids? And he says, I have wives. And then she's like, which one is that? Pointing to his ring. And then suddenly he's like, that was my first wife. <laughs> and then suddenly she feels real bad. And I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> Why are we getting this hint of a backstory about like his cherished, now presumably dead <laughs> first wife but then she gets into the car and drives away and he's back to being crazy and he's like seatbelts and my first thought and my first thought is is that what killed your first wife (laughs) (laughs) it really was because he was so maniacal about it It this must have killed your wife right she didn't put her seatbelts on now it's your mission in life i don't know how that scene made it to the air without anybody being like what is happening this is nuts do we want him to be nuts i don't know i didn't get that I maybe mean, they were like we just need some comic relief here i don't know yeah. <laughs> oh but it kind of reminds me of when sarah tells amber i'm disappointed for you not in you this is us laughing at the show and not with the show <laughs> like <laughs> it's a it's a rare moment but yeah all right well back to prom it's a fact that things get out of control on prom night, and I'm just asking you to really talk to her. That's I did all. talk to her. We went over the rules for prom night. Her curfew's going to be an hour later, which is totally fine. fine. If she wants to go to an after party, let her. If okay? she wants to go to an I after party, call. honey, it's that's being naive. Call. It's not being naive. All it is being naive, honey. Of course go. she's going to go to an after I party. I laid out the rules. I had sex with Michelle McCann on prom night. I know you did, okay? Okay. But I hate to point it out to you, kids are going to have sex no matter if it's prom night or not. No, 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 honey. Yes, it's, they it's, are. it's different. No, it's not. You don't understand. You know what I remember about my prom night? What? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't remember what her dress looked like. I don't remember what color it was. I don't remember what her parents looked like. I don't remember where I put the corsage. Oh, my God. Okay. Honey, I was like a zombie with one directive to get Michelle McCann's dress off. 
great. You know, I do remember one thing. She had a dress with a slit up to here. I know. I up remember. Here, I saw the pictures. I know. I'm down on my I, knees, taking off her I don't garter hear belt right with now. my I don't teeth. Hear what you're I'm saying. sorry. I'm just. Stop. I want to make a point. I want you to really talk to our daughter. Patty is not Michelle McCann, and I will talk to her. Are these where some of your negative notes about Adam come in, Angela? <laughs> Do you want to go first? I don't know. I don't know. Like, Christina, bless her heart in this whole situation. I would have punched him in the face. Like, you say Michelle McCann one more time, I'm going to kick you in the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, I just was like, why is Adam so sexed up about this chick? And why does he keep reminding Christina that he slept with someone on prom? Also, like, she's like, trust Hattie. Why doesn't he trust Hattie? Like, he put her through so much crap already. Yeah. And Alex, like, he had that talk with Alex. He knows Alex is a good guy. He knows, like, if they do decide to do something, like, they're both reasonable teenagers like he needs to chill yeah I was trying to articulate what my problems were with this number one it's one thing to be like open with your spouse about your past but it's another thing to be so explicit it felt kind of disrespectful especially since Christina was obviously upset and I get that the whole thing was being kind of played for like laughs but still I was like she keeps saying oh my god great you know like she she, read the room Adam uh and then also I really, really hate this idea that is often perpetrated in media that men are like unthinking animals when it comes to sex. Even take someone like Adam, who's supposed to be like a real good family man, good guy. Oh, when he was a teenager, he just couldn't even control himself. Yeah, there was like that. She had that slit up to here and like. Like, who cares? Like, she was in a nice dress. Yeah. Get over it. Also, yeah, she was a person. So I really bristled at all of these, I don't remember this about her. I don't remember that. I only wanted to have sex with her. And I'm like, that is a really troubling message that we send a lot of times. Yeah, women wear, like, young girls, young women wear revealing outfits, and then men can't control themselves. It's like, well, what if we did expect men to control themselves? And and I'm like, just... I don't know. And, and and then he, the assumption is that no young man can control themselves, even someone kind like Alex. And I was really glad that the show didn't do that with him. And he was much more respectable and respectful than I guess Adam was as a teenager. And it just made me think a lot less of him. And I, I don't really feel better that he's able as an adult to look back on that because it wasn't the tone of you know what? I really regret that I didn't care more about this this Michelle McCann on a personal level. It's a regret of mine. I I just treated her like someone to have sex with, and I worry. You know, it, it's not that tone. Yeah, it's like he still feels that way. You know, he's like, get her dress off, and then he's talking about a high school girl. And I get that she's his own age and now as an adult, but it's still kind of skeevy to hear like a forty-something man talking about a high schooler like that, and then comparing her to his own teenage daughter. There's just a lot of gross right. shit going on there that I didn't well, and care he, for. And he says like, you know, she's like, I trust them to make the right choice or whatever, and he's like. You can't trust a room full of teenagers with hormones. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry if you have to edit that out. No, you don't. We're explicit. We're explicit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Caleb, what were your thoughts on on that? Did, did it? Did you bump on that or no? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I I get why you did. I I don't think you're wrong to have had that opinion about it. But to me, it felt like 
er, in the earlier scene, she said, we need to trust her. And he says, it's not about trust. And to me, that's what he was kind of trying to drive home. It's like, it's not that I don't trust Hattie. I don't trust teenage boys because I was a teenage boy and I treated this woman horribly. I just um, wish so that even he, though the yeah, sorry. Yeah. So even though the tone wasn't like a regretful thing, I feel like his point was that that he was a monster when he was a teenager and that he was kind of like a person possessed. And I thought it was his way of saying it's like it's not about my trust in her. It's about what she's going to be subject to. Although I did, I did, especially like on my second watch, watching Adam's face while they were all like taking pictures and things he's like dreading letting her go. You At least it looks like on his face. And I thought, do fathers of daughters freak out about sex because they remember what pigs they were? That's the cliche anyway. And I think yeah. some, I think some do. I've always really hated that, that whole joke or whatever about dads sitting by the door with a shotgun when the guy comes over. I just, I hate that. So I'm like, Look, and and something I think that this episode really, really got right is we act as though teenage boys only have one objective, and and it's to sleep with the girl. And Adam buys into that, obviously, because that's the story he told. That's not always true. Sometimes boys want love. Sometimes girls want sex. I like that it was Hattie who brought it up. And I also thought... What exactly, and, and I've thought this the whole series, you know, when last season when she was dating Steve, I'm like, let's get to the root of Adam's concern with sex because I'm not a parent, but I feel like my concern would be that they would get hurt, you know, like heartbroken or used or worse, you know, pregnant or, or STD, you know, those would be my concerns. Adam's concern seems to be her having sex at all under any circumstances, maybe her growing up or something. But I don't think he would have that same concern if, if she were a guy, you know, if she were, if, if she were his teenage son having sex, I feel like there might be a whole different conversation then where he'd be proud or something. And that pisses me off. I, I also think just to, you know, spoiler, <laughs> we're going to get to it, I'm sure, but they do have sex. And I was really happy for Hattie because I thought, that's probably as good a first time experience as a person can have. It's like someone she trusts, they had a and loves, who loves her and trusts her. It's a healthy relationship. They have a really good conversation about it. No one was pressured, no one was used. I get that they're young and maybe your hope would be that they'd be older, but other than them being young. Well, he's older. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I don't know. I just thought, what exactly is his concern? Because if it's that your daughter has a healthy and happy and and good first time that isn't full of trauma, great. That's what she got. And, and in my opinion, she's very lucky because I know a lot of people who have a pretty traumatic first time. And uh, it didn't really feel about protecting her. It felt like just shielding her from life. Yeah. Also, like, he could have handled that a lot better instead of just complaining to Christina. Like, what is his problem with just going to her and saying, hey, like, if this happens, like, do you have a plan? Like, I don't know. Just, you know, I have, I don't have a daughter. I have a son. But I'm kind of with you on that. Like, it's my hope. Like, obviously, like, I really don't want to think about it. And I don't <laughs> want to, like, I, I want him to wait a while. I mean, yeah. but... 
I also want to ha- want him to know that if he makes that choice, that it's consensual and that he is kind and respectful, not, you know, and maybe that's because I'm a female, but I really don't, and I don't know what kind of conversations my dad has had with my brothers, but I'm, I'm pretty sure my dad was never like, go to prom and get laid. Like, like <laughs> I don't know. Like I find it problematic and maybe it's just how it was presented. And maybe it's because like, I don't know. I don't know how I felt or reacted the first time I watched the show back when it was actually on. Like, I don't know if it's because we've progressed more. Maybe I wouldn't have seen it as anything other than like, oh, it's just a dad trying to look out for his daughter. But as a parent of a teenager and being a woman, I I just, I felt like that was a little too much, but I did write, at least he was nice while they were taking pictures. He didn't do his (laughs) Adam flip out on everyone. Yeah, true. That is true. You know, I thought you made me think of something just now that I hadn't, it seemed to me what he was wanting from Christina was an assurance that they were going to actually have a discussion about this topic so that Hattie would be prepared. I thought that's not a bad idea. And I think the discussion they did have was kind of crappy. Yeah. Just yeah. like one question while she's trying on dresses. Yeah, I was like, what a horrible place to have a song. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I bet that's not what Adam meant. But if Adam cared that much then he should talk to Hattie. Yeah. You know, he's her parent. I'm sure she doesn't want, I mean, she doesn't want to hear it from Christina. I'm sure she doesn't want to hear it from Adam either. But if it is such a concern to him, he needs to dial his emotions down a bit and then tell her, I'm having some concerns because I was crazed when I was a teenage boy and I treated my date not very well. I don't know. Just he could yeah. have a he could have a conversation with her that was less possessive and like I don't want you to have sex ever with I want to understand where your head is about these things. Cuz one thing I it, it's such a delicate line because Melissa like you said, I think the caricature of men as like helpless to their urges is a problem. Mm -hmm. But I also think there needs to be some honesty about this is broadly speaking, you know, it's, but men do think about sex more often than women do and their attitudes about it are different. And I think that needs to be factored in too. I think that's what Adam was trying to communicate to Christina. Like Christina, I know you went to prom too, but we had different experiences because I had these hormones raging inside me. Everything inside me was saying, have sex. There's this common stat about men think about sex every seven seconds, I think. That's not true. But I looked it up and uh, an experiment reported in Psychology Today found that men think about sex 18.6 times a day and women 9.9 times. Oddly, men also thought about food and sleep in roughly the same numbers as well, and women. The point they were sort of theorizing was that men think about their like basic needs, food, sex, sleep, more than women, and women think about other things. (laughs) (laughs) And my favorite stat that I found, this is unrelated, but it was my favorite stat I found while looking all of this up. It was a survey of clergy that said 62% of priests and 49% of nuns admitted to breaking their vows of chastity. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's fascinating. I just, the nuns especially shocked me. I'm like, that's, so half of all nuns 
<laughs> had sex. How do you solve a problem like Maria? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh, well, something you said earlier kind of also made me think like Adam was raised by Zeke Braverman. Oh, oh. That's true. <laughs> so his way of dealing with stuff might come from some toxic masculinity. Yeah. As well, because you know <laughs> <Might>. Zeke. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. So not that it's necessarily an excuse, but it kind of gives you, like, if you think about it in that aspect, you're like, well, Adam is just doing what he knows. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And that is a good point, because I feel like that's something we've noticed over and over again, which I definitely didn't notice the first time, which is that Adam really is Zeke with just a veneer of respectability yeah. over him, <laughs> yeah. you know? But he he kind of is a caveman in pretty much all of his attitudes. Yeah. He just knows that he should hide it, and Zeke doesn't. That's true. <laughs> and in a way, I wonder if sometimes it makes me angrier at Adam because it seems deceitful, where it's like, Zeke feels honest. Yeah. Like I told I told Matthew to stay away from what's mine, which is my wife. Like, well, <laughs> I know where you stand. That's a good point. Yeah, and Adam's the oldest too. So like all of his experiences were Zeke's first child, male child experience. So like maybe that's why Crosby's like so like different. That's true. Crosby doesn't have a daughter, but I can't imagine Crosby would feel this way about his daughter going to prom and maybe having sex with her committed boyfriend yeah. who the whole family knows well. He'd probably be like, hey, at least he's not acting like I did in high school. Because right. I-, <laughs> I think that Crosby kind of has proven that even. I think that he's said to Adam in a previous episode, well, she's going to have sex, you know, and, and it didn't seem like he said that to torture Adam, although Adam was like, oh, like, what are you saying? <laughs> you know, and, and I was thinking too, I can't imagine Joel I mean I get that Sydney is so young but I'm like if this show had continued to where Sydney was you know 16 I can't really picture Joel having these kinds of freakouts. um her virginity must be preserved you know like I just yeah. can't really see that yeah. so yeah it's probably my least favorite thing about Adam I really don't like it and maybe maybe it is about letting go and recognizing that they're not little kids anymore and that they're they're older but I don't know I do think that a lot of ideas about sex are just deeply unhealthy, you know, and, and yeah. yeah. Well, and no parents ever have these concerns about boys losing their virginity. No, they don't. In fact, do they, I mean, is that a term that is used for boys as often, you know, like the whole definition of virginity seems to be about penetrating something, you know, it, 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 the whole thing feels very sexist and wrong. Like I've read books like the purity myth um, that are really fascinating and about how damaging this idea of like purity is mostly to women. Yeah. Yeah. I also just noticed that I wrote this down and it kind of remind, like whenever they're doing the prom picture, Adam's parents are like, oh yeah, you went out, you went with that one girl. Whoa. She was like, good looking, blah, blah, blah. And then they turn to Sarah and just start berating her for her hairdo and like, <laughs> you know, her prom. And I'm like, like, okay, so this is a weird standard here. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of like, it was funny, but also like, what, why are you being so mean to Sarah? Like she probably just went and had fun. Yeah. <laughs> she ended up marrying her prom date. She wasn't just a zombie who wanted sex and like, you know. And isn't there a moment where Zeke is like, oh yeah, mom. 
Raleigh. Yes, where he's gross. like mm-hmm. horrifying. Like, that's yeah. Zeke's his dad. Yeah. That's so true. And that's they have where, her name that's wrong. That's exactly where Adam got it from. And Ugh. I, you know, I'm usually totally on Team Camille when it's Camille against Christina. But in this episode, I was Team Christina because I like I was like, why, why is Camille being like, oh, he was not so about her. I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like. <laughs> It'd be different if Christina thought it was funny, you know, and like they were all mm-hmm. so close that they're laughing about the fact that he had this prom date. But again, people keep saying things to Christina in this episode that are obviously making her uncomfortable. It's kind of like, Adam is so great. Christina, you should be lucky that you're with him. I, I kind of <laughs> wondered if that was the vibe. Yeah. He chose you and not not the other mechanic girl. <laughs> Michelle slash Molly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so at the end of that scene, there was something about the final image, which was Adam and Christina embracing as they send Hattie out to prom. And then Sarah standing behind them alone, sending Amber out to prom. That really hit me about just the extra weight on Sarah as a single parent. Like Adam and Christina have each other and they split both the actual work. I mean, they don't split it evenly, but... But they split the actual work of raising kids, driving them from one place to another, schedule, feeding, every, you know, all of it. But then just like emotional support from each other, too. And like, <laughs> imagine if Adam was Hattie's only parent mm-hmm. and was freaking out about this as much as he was. And there wasn't anyone there to balance him out. <laughs> like, Hattie would be real messed up. <laughs> but just that Sarah does all of that by herself. And I don't know, it's just a nice reminder to me. It's like everything she's going through on this show, she's going through alone and she's shouldering 100% of it. And yes, she has support from her parents and her siblings and sure, but still, she's the one that has to answer for bringing the kids up. And that would be tough. I think it's part of why I think she does such an incredible job. I mean, if you look at how unreasonable Adam is about Hattie going to prom, I mean, I know it's, I think in many ways meant to be funny, but she's getting to go to prom with a boyfriend and she's really excited about it. And he doesn't share that with her at all. And if you contrast that with Amber sort of sheepishly telling Sarah that she's going to prom and Sarah has all these beautiful things to say about it, like, oh, it's cheesy and it's embarrassing. It's dumb. It's prom, (laughs) but it's a memory from high school that you'll never regret that you have. And it's a beautiful send off. I'm like, that's how I think of prom. You know, earlier, Caleb, when you asked us, do we think prom is all about sex? No, I think it's about everything Sarah said to Amber. That's Mm. what prom is. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And for her to say that to Amber instead of, oh my God, don't have sex. You know, (laughs) it's just. Well, that ship has sailed. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. I like the pretty in pink reference. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One last thought about the. Well, never mind. Um, Are you sure? So, uh, well, I was just going to say the, the, how it struck me about like Sarah being a single parent. What Gilliam is asking her to do in this episode would be so much easier if she had a co-parent. Yeah. If it was, I need three days to really focus on the play. So husband or wife or partner or whoever, for three days, I'm going to ask you to shoulder a little more of the responsibilities so that I can focus on this. And then when it's done... I'll be back to, you know, my regular duties, but she cannot do that. Yeah. Yeah. I can identify with her on that. (laughs) So at the actual prom, 
I loved this little one little line from Michael B. Jordan. Girl, I was born to rock this tux, and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is born to rock the, rock the tux. Although I kind of wished he had a bow tie instead of the tie. Oh, I didn't even notice. To me, the tie made it feel a little bit like he was just wearing a suit rather than a tux. I like suits more than tuxes. And I would say in general I do too. But I don't know, something about the prom, I was like, put a tux on, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to make that sound so lascivious. (laughs) You are who you are. It's Michael B. Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) Who can resist? I thought this was a pretty clever way to twist the knife in Amber about her college plans, bringing Zasha Mamet back as Kelsey. I've been thinking about you like a lot recently. We used to SAT tutor together, so she'd slay me in vocab. It's true. What ended up happening with that? With vocab? With college. Do you, do you know where you're going? I'm being totally boring and going to Yale. My dad cried when I got my acceptance letter. He's like a total diehard. So. But, um, what, what about you? Um, I don't know. You like haven't decided yet? This girl's ridiculously smart. She's like stupid smart. She... Actually, it's just that I didn't get into college to any of the places that I applied to. So it's not really that I haven't chosen yet. It's more that I don't have any options because I didn't get in. Sorry to make it weird. I'm so sorry. That's... That's actually... You know, that's so much better because now you can, like... Do whatever you want. You know, like the world is your oyster. Okay, cool. That was a great save. Uh, I hope you have a great life at college and a great time here at prom. Can we go? Sure. Is that the definition of a humble brag? I'm being totally boring and going to Yale. Yeah, that's what I wrote down. I was like, oh yeah, Yale is so boring. Uh, <laughs> that is just that. Uh, yeah, I, I found the way she said she was going to Yale more obnoxious than anything else she said. Like, ugh. I feel so bad. Well, I feel bad for Amber on an emotional level, but I also kind of judge the show a little bit for her saying like, so I don't have any options because like we've said before, she could go to community college. She could probably go to just a less selective school. She could probably still apply Mm -hmm. even at this late date and get in. She could take a gap year There's just, there are so many options and I feel it's a little bit manipulative to be like, oh, Amber's upset because she doesn't have any options when like that's just not true. I'm just not buying this corner you boxed her into. I get that she might feel that way Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of teens do feel that way because these other options aren't made so clear to them. And like, I feel like gap year, especially like, I haven't done it. I don't know that I know anyone personally who did do it. It feels like a very privileged thing to be able to do. Like Malia Obama took a gap year. I feel like she coined gap year. Like before that, people just (laughs) called it taking time off. And I was like, oh, no, maybe maybe it's harder to go back after you take time off. But when you call it a gap year, it just sounds like a plan. Right. Yeah. Or maybe there's this like idea that, oh, and in your gap year, you travel through Europe. Like Amber wouldn't have to do that. She could live right where she's living. She has housing. She could get a job and work for a year and then have some money of her own. She could move out and get a job and work and like have a year of living on her own and then go to college. 
or then go to community college, or then go to a trade school, or then get a cosmetology license, or then welding, like any number of things that she could do. And obviously that is the kind of conversation Sarah is wanting to have with her that Amber's not ready for right now. So maybe this is all just back to the fact that maybe they should have talked about this beforehand. I think that would have done a lot. I teach a unit on college and career research and uh, I have juniors that do this. So they're not seniors yet, but you know, some of them get so stressed out that they don't know what they want to do when they're a junior in high school. And I'm like, that's not what the assignment is about. You don't have to know what you want to do. It's about looking at what options are available to you so that if college isn't your thing, or if you don't get into a college that you want to go to, you have other options and you don't feel like you're trapped and like, well, guess I'm going to work at McDonald's now. Like, just as a teacher of high school students, like I think that kids get so much pressure from their parents to be college bound and to go to a good college and to get scholarships and all of that. But I'm always honest with my students and I tell them, you know, when I was in high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do even when I graduated high school. And so basically I just kind of at the last minute maybe June or July, I was like, well, I don't really know what to do. So I guess I'm just going to go to Pitt State. And I went undeclared. And my first semester, I just took gen eds. My second semester, I declared as a music major. I did one semester as a music major. Felt like I really didn't like anyone in that program. (laughs) And was like, this is not my thing. And so I switched to communications and that's where I stayed. But I think that there's just a lot of pressure on teenagers to get good grades and know what they want to do before they're even like at a position to make that decision. And a lot of it falls on, I think, community expectations, but also I think a lot of parents are very adamant that their children go to college or do better than they did or whatever. With my own kid, like, I'm like, I don't care what you do as long as you make enough money to get out of my house. (laughs) Uh, So... Yeah, no, I love him. He can stay here if he wants to for a while, but. (laughs) You know, what you just said about they want them to do what they didn't do, that really does make me think of Sarah because Sarah doesn't strike me as the same kind of parent that like maybe Adam and Christina or, or Julia would be putting a lot of pressure on your life needs to look a certain way and, and you have certain expectations. I mean, I really think Sarah is being truthful when she tells Amber, I'm not disappointed, you know, in you just for you. But I do think there might be a little bit of, of that in the fact that she didn't even want to talk about what would happen if she didn't get in. Because I think it was really important to her that Amber have more opportunities than she had. And I think it comes from a good place, but. Well, and I feel like as a single parent, you sometimes feel like you have something to prove. Like Mm. I'm a single parent, but I can still do a good job raising my kid. And because society sees college as like the ultimate goal and your kid isn't successful if they don't go to college or, you know, then it's kind of like, well, if they didn't get into a good college, then I must not be a good parent. So, Mm. so I could see her thinking that too, like, and not, not necessarily trying to be selfish, but just thinking like, oh, is it my fault because she didn't get in? Like, should I have done something different? How can I fix this? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That all gives me a different perspective a little bit on this scene between Amber and Sarah. I put down, I go back and forth between thinking I get what Amber's saying here and then just having no fucking clue. 
Um, <laughs> so let's listen and then dissect together. What happened? Nothing. Uh, I just, I don't want to talk right now, okay? Oh, no. Are you okay? I'm fine. I just, I just don't want to talk, okay? I just okay. really don't want to talk. Is everything okay with the date? It's not about that. It was fine. It's just this whole, this whole thing is not working. Like, you know, going to high school and being a great student and going to prom and having a nice date and going to college, like, that's just not working for me. Oh, honey, you're so smart. It's going to look different tomorrow, you know? It's just going to feel... Mom, can you just listen? Really listen to what I'm saying, please? I am trying to communicate with you honestly here, okay? I did the best I could to do what you want me to do. I did the best that I could to be good in school, to go to college and take part in this high school life, but it's not working for me. So I'm sorry, but I need to start doing what feels good for me and trying to see if that works because this whole thing of doing what you want me to do and what you suggest me to do and you trying to fix my problems, it's not working. It's not your life, it's my life. And I need you to understand that I'm gonna start making my own decisions, whether you like them or not. And that has to be okay with you because it's who I am. So I was just confused because like I never interpreted Amber's choices over the last season to be doing what Sarah wanted her to do or that like Sarah was imposing her own wishes on Amber. But maybe that's how Amber has felt and I just didn't know it. I certainly understand the frustration you have if you feel like I did everything right or I followed a certain trajectory and then it didn't lead to where it was supposed to lead to. But like, is that what she's saying here? I'm not quite, I just wasn't exactly sure of the point Amber was trying to make. I felt the exact same way. And I was like, well, wait, weren't you the one that wanted to do a lot of this stuff? Like it was your choice. Like your mom didn't tell you to go to prom. And wasn't it her teacher initially that like really liked her writing? Mm -hmm. Well, liked her mom's writing, but <laughs> like encouraged her to like keep coming back to school and like kind of turning her act around and all of that. And like, I mean, I understand like if Sarah wants more for her daughter, but I didn't see that she was really pressuring her into anything either. It was more like she just wants to fix things for her and doesn't want to listen. And I feel like it was great that she said, I'm trying to communicate to you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that part made sense. But I agree, like the other part, when did this become like a, I never wanted to be a good kid. <laughs> like, I don't right. know. Well, and that's a really good point about listening because I, like, I included the beginning of that scene purely for the fact that Amber says literally three times, I don't want to talk. <laughs> and Sarah keeps asking her questions. Mm. Clearly, Amber is upset about something. And Sarah is probably just wanting to be sure, like, are you all right? Mm -hmm. But also, your child has said three times, I don't want to talk about it right now. So maybe you just don't talk about it. Because part of me wonders, would Amber have had that like word vomit if Sarah had just said, okay, I'm sorry, things didn't go the way you wanted them to. We'll talk tomorrow or something. What did you think, Melissa? I think that I kind of get where Amber's coming from a little. And I do think she's blaming her mom for things that are not her mom's fault. But I think I get it. Amber is embarrassed, you know, like 
what an embarrassing night in her mind, you know, especially now that you've mentioned that deleted scene. So the Kelsey thing and the, the date that, you know, I think she's just really vulnerable. And I think the thing she might really be pissed about her at her mom for that she has a right to be pissed about is that, yeah, her mom's not listening to her, that she's not ready to talk about it. And that her mom keeps trying to do that cheerful thing of being like, oh, it'll look so different tomorrow, you know? And I think she's just trying to say something maybe shocking to get her attention. But I also think she might be internalizing that rejection so much that she maybe is looking at this whole past year as not being herself. I don't agree with that. I think that she was growing, you know? I think the person she was first season maybe wasn't entirely herself. And, and, you know, I think she's been growing into herself, but maybe now that she didn't get into college, she doesn't see it that way anymore. And she feels like, well, I was just trying to be someone else. And, um, you know, you know, who was proud of me when I was doing all those fake things, my mom. So now I'm making this weird leap to saying that she pushed me into this and I was just trying to be who she was, which I don't think is true, but I think that's maybe how she got there. If that makes sense. It does. Well, and what you guys were saying before we I even played this scene that made me reconsider is just the knowledge that what Amber is on track to achieve is stuff that Sarah hadn't. Yeah. And Amber's not oblivious to that fact. So I'm sure even if Sarah didn't put pressure on her or didn't mean to, that she might have felt like mom didn't get to go to college, but I do. And they did say something about that, I think, in the first season. Like when Amber's like, what do you know? You didn't even go to college. Sarah's like, you're right. I didn't get to go to college. I'm now remembering season one when Sarah was like, let's go on some college trips. And Amber's like, I'm not even going to go to college. And Sarah's like, what do you mean you're not going to go to college? Of course you're going to go to college. And I'm thinking of that because I wonder if Amber was fine, like making no expectations of herself, you know, just being like, we're just going to get through this life. I, I don't have high expectations for what I can achieve. And maybe what she's really mad at her mom for is like believing in her and making her believe in herself. And then it didn't work out. And now she's crushed. And she wouldn't have been crushed if she just hadn't applied to college or planned on going. Hard to fault Sarah for that, for believing like in her daughter. Just like the SATs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, man. Poor Amber. I know. She does need a break. But it makes me so sad that like that scene with her just grabbing the cigarette and like defiantly looking at Sarah and going outside. I'm like, so this is plan B is just smoking. <laughs> like That I was like, oh, this feels so cliche to me. I, I know you don't want your kids to smoke, but like, it, it felt like it feels like the automatic way to communicate rebellious teens. I'm going to smoke a <laughs> cigarette. <laughs> I, I don't know what else they could have done to show her like reverting to her old ways. But to me, that did not land in the way I think they meant it to. Maybe she just shouldn't have stared at her as she literally put it between her lips. I (laughs) liked that because that's why she did it. I think she did it to give a message to her mom. You know, if she just happened to be smoking, I don't think that would, you know, and and Sarah caught her. I don't think that'd be the same thing. She's, She's mad at her mom, I think, for believing in her and wants to be like, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm this. You know, my reactions to both of these things might be because I'm not around teenagers, <laughs> because a teenager ranting about something that doesn't quite make sense and then openly defying you in the most cliche way right to your face. It does sound like, yeah, teenagers would do that, <laughs> but I'm never I'm never around teenagers. So Angela and me, I it's are just like, you're a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. you know, when Oren's mad about something like 
the stuff that comes out of his mouth isn't always rational. It's not always about what he's actually mad about. But I think it's really important to give kids the time to like go stew about it, then come back and say, okay, so what were you really upset about? Mm -hmm. Not be like, oh, well, it'll look better in the morning. Not to them, like at this time in their lives, like your teenage years, it is really important. Everything is really important to them because they don't have the foresight to see the future. And so we shouldn't put aside or discard their feelings Mm -hmm. and their intense emotions because to them, it is extremely important. You know, maybe her rant is just that, just uh, like, I have all these emotions and I'm feeling very deeply and I like, I am pissed about these things right now. And her mom does know it will look better tomorrow, but you can't say that to a teenager in distress because then it seems like you aren't taking them seriously. Yeah, I love that. I just looked this up. According to Stanford Children's Health, the rational part of a teen's brain isn't fully developed and won't be until age 25 or so. Yeah. Research has found that adult and teen brains work differently. Adults think with the prefrontal cortex, the brain's rational part. This is the part of the brain that responds to situations with good judgment and an awareness of long-term consequences. Teens process information with the amygdala. This is the emotional part. Because something you said about like they're not always thinking ahead mm-hmm. I thought yeah and they, they kind of can't right <laughs> yeah. yeah so I checked just I, I, I'm pretty sure that's true something I've thought about my first boyfriend I was 14 and the relationship lasted for like a month that's it the level of devastation I felt when we broke up is almost comical to me now because I'm like, well, how much, how much, how well did I know that guy? It's like ridiculous. My world fell apart. I was depressed for like a year. I mean, not clinically, maybe I shouldn't say depressed, but I mean, really, really devastated and affected. And I really thought no one will ever love me. I mean, like I just, when I look back on that, I'm like, what was my problem? But in many ways, I think I wouldn't fall apart the same way even if Mark and I broke up after, you know, 17 and a half years together and and building a home. And and I would be way more devastated because it's obviously a much more significant relationship. But I would know that I would live. You know, I would know that I could get through it and be okay, even though I would be heartbroken. I was heartbroken at 14 and I didn't know that I would live. <laughs> if that makes sense. I I don't know. I think about that and I'm like, Amber, yeah, she just can't see past it. And she's just, this is everything to her right now. And it made sense that she couldn't have a fun night at prom because this is everything. I don't know if she could have had that even if she hadn't run into Kelsey. Well, the last part of the prom story, which you mentioned before, was... Hattie and Alex having sex. And when Hattie came home, I felt like she was really weird in the hallway with her parents. And suddenly I began to doubt my memory of having seen the show before. I would have said that her first time was a good experience. But the way she was behaving, it it seemed like something had happened that didn't sit well with her. And I was like, oh, no, what happened? I thought it was good. And then I was like relieved when she got to her bedroom and shut the door and then she smiled. Oh, it was good. Okay. I'm not nuts. It's it's like I remembered. So I'm assuming that the weird energy she had in the hallway was just because she was lying to her parents or felt like she was lying to her parents. 
That would be my guess. Yeah. I had the exact okay. same thought process. I'm like, yeah, something <laughs> seems wrong. And then I'm like, oh, I think she just felt awkward in the hall. And at first I was like, well, she didn't lie to her parents. I mean, she had that two sentence conversation with Christina where she said, Alex and I are not talking about having sex. As far as we know, at that time, they weren't. Yeah. So she told the <laughs> truth. But then I thought, well, four episodes ago, she did promise not to go to his apartment ever. <laughs> and she just had sex in it. So. Oh, didn't, weren't they at a hotel? Like they got a room? I didn't no. think they were like. I think they were at his apartment. They oh. were like welcome mats. Oh, in the well, shoot. I didn't even think of that. You know what bugged me about that scene? When Christina was like, see, you feel better? And he's like, yeah. And then he said something like she's a good girl or she's a good kid. So, something about she's good and equating good and virginity. Again, I didn't like that. I'm like, you know what? She had sex and she's still good. <laughs> like, I don't know. That was yeah. something about that that struck me. I was like, she, she her, her being good is not contingent upon whether or not she has consensual sex with her loving boyfriend. I don't know. True. Yeah. And I don't think she, like, she never lied about anything, actually, because she never said, like, I, we're not going to have sex. She just said, we aren't talking about it. And she never made a promise or, to anyone saying, like, oh, no, I'm not, that's not going to happen. Like, yeah. If anything, Christina put the idea into her head. <laughs> and Christina only did it because Adam made her. So really, it's Adam's fault. <laughs> I love it. So on to Crosby, which is like, it almost doesn't even count as a storyline, I think, in this episode. <laughs> like, he bought the house. Okay. I did think it was interesting at the, in the first scene, the realtor says the house he was looking at was lowered to 1.1. 1. 1 million dollars. Yes. 1.1 million. Holy cow. It was the world's cutest house. I, I it don't was know. A, like, literally the white picket oh, fence and yeah. the flowers and... But so I looked it up, and according to DataQuick, which is a real estate information <laughs> service, the average home price in Berkeley in 2011 was $658,489. Wow. So I think it makes sense that a house that to us looked like cute but pretty small was a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I did write down, didn't Crosby sell his boat last season? I mean, I already thought about this when he went back there after his big fight with Jasmine. But I thought there was a whole whole episode named after the boat. If this boat is a rockin' is when everyone makes Crosby sell the boat. Yeah. I, okay, maybe he didn't have a buyer yet, but that was like, what, episode nine? In all that time, no one bought it. And then now he decides to sell it again. And within 20 minutes, someone buys <laughs> it? I, I was just, this felt like retcon to me. It too. did. Oh, he still had the bow, but now he's selling it. Well, and I was also like, didn't he sell it so he could live with Jasmine in that other house? And I was like, are they just renting that house? Because I thought they bought that house and that's why he had to sell the houseboat huh. for the house with the dishwasher in it where they had the dishwasher fight. I'm like, yeah. didn't you do this already? I don't understand this grand gesture. Also in the very last episode, she said, we need to move on and you should leave me alone. And he's buying her a house for hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is a bad idea. It's a really terrible idea. He's so winning and, and it's real cute. And I kind of, I, I want him to do well, but I'm like, this is dumb. And also the beginning of the episode didn't make any sense where he's just monologuing about her sitting in various places of the house, presumably talking to the realtor. Who's probably like, I got other people to show houses to man. I can't just... <laughs> 
Like, just Although stop. Crosby did this before when he was looking for a house for the piano. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Spilling his guts to the realtor. Who tells a realtor all that? Oh, Crosby. <laughs> her hair smells like coconut and vanilla from her shampoo. You know, I'm like, the realtor would be like, stop. Like, this is too much information. He also repeats the story of we met at a wedding, which is, yeah, I thought not true, but... Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I like that <laughs> when you were saying it's a stupid idea, you kind of sounded like Adam in this scene with Sarah. Crosby came to see me. Oh, good for him. He wants Saul to come look at the house tomorrow. Yeah, I know. Look, Sarah, we're a bunch of adults. I don't know what we're supposed to do here. Help him pick out curtains? Do him a favor and keep him from doing an incredibly stupid thing, which he's doing in response to another incredibly stupid thing that he did? Which, by the way, can't be undone, so I don't, I don't care. So you're not going to come see the house tomorrow? No. Yeah, it might be a really stupid thing he's doing. And it also might not work. Jasmine might never forgive him. But we don't have that option. I hate what he did. You don't have to like it either. You can be mad at him as long as you want. He's in pain and he needs us. He's our brother to show up. I thought that was really beautiful. And even though they were expressing the same sentiment, this was so much more persuasive than Zeke, like two episodes ago, telling Adam, blood is thicker than water. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not a good way (laughs) to get the message across. Sarah had a much more nuanced way of saying still pretty much the exact same thing. I think Zeke's also acting like, who cares? So he slept with someone and cheated on his fiance and you lost your behavioral aid. Maybe it's for the best. You know, that would bother me so much because I'd be like, it's like you don't get the situation at all. Sarah gets the situation and is like, even so, he's our brother and he's in pain. And so I feel like that's more persuasive because she's not rationalizing what he did, but is just saying, well, even though he did it, we have to find a way to forgive him, don't we? And I think it's so good that we saw her earlier to Crosby's face say how much what he did pisses her off because it makes this scene have even more impact because when she says, I hate what he did, we know it's not just a line she's feeding Adam. She really does. And like in yeah. a previous episode, she said to Crosby, it's the worst thing you could have done. Yeah. It's just, I'm sorry, but it is. It's the worst thing. They all love Jasmine. Like, yeah, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, We're taking Jasmine's side on this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe I sounded harsh before when I said that this is stupid. But I think what really gets me about it is Jasmine was very clear. She wasn't yelling at him in the last episode it wasn't right when she found out and she was in like the angry phase of of this situation she was resigned and just disappointed and had time to to really think about what it is she wanted and she said we need to move on and he responds to that by spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a house that needs a lot of work without showing it to her without showing it to Jabbar It just feels to me like he's trying to fix this with a grand gesture, but it's actually a pretty insensitive thing to do in many ways. I mean, I get that they're not married anymore and now they won't be, but they do share a child and they have to rely on each other financially. And he just made this huge financial decision without having her way in. I just, 
I, I really feel like this is meant to be sweet, but it's it's a big misstep. And you, probably what Jasmine actually wants is the courtesy of being believed when she says something direct to you. Yeah, I felt like it was, yeah, not a smart idea, but also kind of like stalkery in a way. <laughs> but then I was also thinking, like, as you were talking, like, what if it is a smart decision? Because even if it doesn't get Jasmine back, it shows that he's trying to become more responsible and have a place that is home for his child that if he wanted to have birthday parties at, you know, in the backyard, like his son now has a place that they can come to to do that. So maybe it's not like a horrible idea, just the reason for doing it is not the best. I like that. I also worry about it because we as viewers know we're almost at the season finale and Crosby and Jasmine had this huge fight. And last season finale ended with Zeke resolving a huge rift in his marriage by playing a song on the ukulele. (laughs) And now it's like, so Crosby's going to buy this house and fix it up. And then Jasmine's going to take him back. That just feels so Heidi. So I I worry about it from like a dramaturgical point of view almost. <laughs> like, no, that wouldn't work. It wouldn't get her back. I think it would be different too if he was just buying the house for himself instead of in if he yeah, wasn't attaching it with I hope she come. Yeah, to prove something to himself. Yeah. 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 Instead of to Jasmine. Yeah. I think I think motivation matters a lot in this case because he keeps saying in the hopes that she'll come live in it with me. I'm like that's right. to me where you're misguided. But if, if you think it's a good idea for you to sell your houseboat and get a home and, and maybe that would even show Jasmine like, okay, I heard you. I'm not expecting to live with you because we're over and I hear you. So I'm going to get a more responsible living situation for when Jabbar is with me. I think that would be a really beautiful act that would show that he's in the right place. But, but the, the fact that he's like trying to get her to live in it, I'm like, no. Well, in typical parenthood fashion, at least in this single episode, everything gets resolved. (laughs) This is a really sweet idea. Such a nice idea. Absolutely. It's just, it's a lot of money and a lot of responsibility. Well, I already bought this house, so. This one? Uh, So, I think it's, it'll be. Oh my God, I do not know what I was thinking. I mean, actually, I do. I was thinking, you know, I already wrecked my life, so I don't really care if I wreck it worse because you can't really wreck it worse than totally. That's no, listen, there's, not there's true. contingencies here. Yeah, the there's inspection might not go through. Not a chance. Yeah, you can wiggle out of it during escrow. Yeah, well, I already sold the houseboat. You did. Wow. It seemed like a grown-up thing to do at the time. Well, it was. I mean, what kind of a grown-up guy lives on a houseboat? Thanks for coming. I mean, not that this place isn't a dump. Awful. (laughs) (laughs) You think I can fix it? No. Okay, great. I think we can fix it. 
I can't take credit for this because I read it in some like review of this episode or something. But honestly, isn't it? I think Joel can fix oh it. Oh my God. <laughs> right. Mark only watched that scene and that was the comment he made. He was like, you mean Joel could fix it? <laughs> like, Joel, is like, Joel keeps saying things like, well, yeah, okay. The windows aren't that bad, but when you combine that with the kitchen cabinet, you know, Crosby's just twirling around in all his idealism and Adam's like, I can nail a few nails. I can, you know, and I think Joel's like, oh shit, this is all going to be me. <laughs> Here's another project. <laughs> but at least he won't get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> built, Crosby doesn't have any money. I built Sarah the desk. She never uses it. Like, it's just it's so sad. Yeah. Poor Joel. Yeah. Also, why, just because he sold the houseboat, Sarah moved back in with her parents. Why couldn't Crosby? <laughs> I want to see that show where where Crosby and Sarah are roommates in the guest house. <laughs> well, this is Crosby's new plan. <laughs> and I think Amber and Julia are also sort of starting over in this episode with their new plans. I think they actually used the word, like Amber said, I'm not ready to make a plan. And then... Adam says to Crosby, that's your plan? <laughs> but like, okay, we're actually quoting the title now. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. This was another episode that on first watch, I was kind of underwhelmed by. And then I watched it again and liked it a lot more. I liked everything except for Gilliam T. Blount's bra. <laughs> that was the only thing. Oh, I hate that word. <laughs> That's an excellent Richard Dreyfuss. I love Dreyfus. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Angela, did you like it? I did like it. I felt like it was a pretty good episode. You know, if I can get over my anger at Adam. Um, <laughs> I did have, like, one, like, sort of closing type idea, and I just put that... I think this episode, while like it was kind of prom-centered, I felt like it was about the relationships between the mothers and their children. And like Christina's was kind of like, we, which we didn't really talk about Christina like that much in this aspect, but I thought like Christina was kind of giving up some control because, you know, she's always like in charge of everything, very organized. And so, but this episode, she was more on she was less on the control side and was more like, okay, I'm going to like give up some of my control. And then, you know, Sarah is relinquishing some of her ability to make things right for everyone. Yeah. And Julia has, is overcompensating with Sydney Ooh. to like sort of make up for her inadequacies that she obviously has no control over. So kind of just like a lot of. And then leaning on issues. Camille. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so insightful. I love that. Those are really good points about Christina, not to open the whole topic again, but we didn't talk much about it. You know, she was the most maniacal about Alex, mm -hmm. but it seems like once she gets over herself, she's over. Yeah. Yeah. And now she's trusting Hattie. And I feel like she kind of did the same thing with Steve. Mm -hmm. She was a little freaked out about it at first, maybe because Hattie was hiding it. Yeah. But then once she knew what was going on, it was... Yeah, she she re kept reiterating to Hattie in season one, I trust you, I trust you, even though Adam was still spinning out of control. I think Christina is maybe a character who just needs to be able to see what something's going to be. Like new things really freak her out, I think. You know, things seem scary at first, like driving or a boyfriend. Maybe she's autistic. Well, you know, maybe. I mean, I don't know. But 
But it is interesting. She That is something she shares with Max, I think, is that new things really scare her. She didn't want Max to go trick-or-treating. You know, she likes to play everything safe. And then it seems like once she has adjusted to a new reality, she is very okay. Or a new plan. A new plan. She's very <laughs> yes. okay with it. And I hope that it leads to like her being more like her building a stronger relationship with her daughter, because, you know, this is like the age where like 17, 18, in my experiences, I started like liking my mom more mm-hmm. as opposed to like being her arch nemesis. Yeah. So, <laughs> so hopefully that's like just a good positive sign for the relationship in the future. Yeah. Well, this was fun. Yes. Pals. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll do it for us this week. Please like us on the social meds, as we say. Uh, sometimes we say that. <laughs> We're Parenthood Pals on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And our webby addy is <laughs> parenthoodpals.com. I'm joking. Yeah, I love it. Thank you, Angela. <laughs> Thank you, Thank Angela. Thank you, listeners. Thanks for having me again. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.